Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community, we're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Think you know PCmatic? Think again. PCmatic is working with MSPs to deliver true, zero-trust, default-deny endpoint security, allowing only trusted applications and blocking all the rest. A lightweight, simple-to-deploy, and easy-to-manage approach to application allow listing. Layering, a default-deny approach, provides MSPs of all sizes the ability to again focus on prevention, and PCmatic delivers this without impacting performance or efficiency. Find out more by visiting pcmatic.com MSP. Be sure to ask about PCmatic's exclusive lead sharing program for MSPs, backed by a primetime national TV campaign. Hi, this is Carl Polichuk. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. This is going to be a slightly different kind of podcast. Today, I want to talk to you, just you and me, and I want to talk to you about customer service, and in particular, what kind of buyer are you, and what kind of buyer do you want your clients to be? A lot of people, sincerely and honestly, deep in their hearts, believe that buyers get to make all the decisions, that the customer is always right, even though we know that's absurd, and that it's a one-way street. They tell you what they want and you give it to them. And I would argue that if the client sets down all the rules and you follow all the client's rules and none of it goes the other way, in fact, you have created a commodity of yourself and you did it. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about today many of the things I've mentioned over the years and help to sort of put them together so you see how all these pieces fit. I have long given the advice that you should go create the business that you want to run and then go find clients who want to do business your way. And there's roughly a billion examples of this through history. You know, there are people who say, well, I want to only do business with with people who have at least 10 employees. I want to do business with people who uh, have at least a million in revenue or people who have layers of management. Those are all indicators of the kinds of things I want my clients to be. Now, another thing I've said many times is that you don't have to take every client who comes down the road. In the absolutely unbreakable rules of service delivery, one of the rules is you don't have to pick up every spare dog that shows up on your doorstep. And related to that, you also don't have to pick up every nickel you find on the road. You know, many people think that they have to take every business that shows up. And I just did a video about this. It's not true. It's never been true. But a lot of people start out their businesses thinking that way. And sometimes it takes them decades to realize what a mistake that was. And they they take forever to undo that mistake. Another piece of advice that I've often given 
and many other people have as well, is that you have to create an ideal client. Like literally have a picture in your mind of who buys your services. How old are they? Are they male, female? Are they of a particular race? Do they live in a particular area? What age group are they in? How much money do they make? You know, again, all those criteria that we talk about. And it matters who your client is because you have to set a bar that people need to get over if they want to be your client. So, for example, the simplest one, simplest one of all. We don't do business with people who don't pay their bills. And I know that sounds funny, but I got to tell you, I literally can't count how many conversations I've had in the last 15 years with people whose clients don't pay their bills. I'm sorry. One of my other unbreakable rules is we get paid in advance for everything. And so that's just the way the world works. You know, uh, one of the rules that some people make fun of me for is that I don't answer the phone. I haven't answered the phone in 12 years. Uh, and it, well, actually, it's longer than that. But I don't intend to start answering the phone anytime soon. So who wants to do business with a guy like me? Well, that's the point. Those people are out there. And one of the ways that you weed through your clients is you only, quote unquote, hire the clients who meet your criteria. Now, I said there's many, many examples. Think about the way that you buy things, right? What kind of a buyer are you? One time I, I had a longtime client that we were putting on a new contract when we moved from per device to per user pricing. So I gave him, you know, three options and said, here, you got to sign one of these. And he said, well, I'm, I'm kind of a platinum kind of guy. <laughs> so unless you tell me otherwise, I'm going to sign platinum. And that's exactly the kind of client I want. I want platinum clients. I want people who see themselves as only buying premium services. Now, other people have built a similar business model. The people who love Macy's, as a rule, don't love Walmart. And to be honest, the people who love Walmart don't love Macy's. The stores are laid out differently. The pricing is certainly different. The merchandise is different. Everything about them is different. Now, I used to buy my shoes at Macy's only because I have rheumatoid arthritis and I had to get really good shoes. And in the days before gel inserts, there's just a handful of shoes that I could wear. And Macy's carried them. So even though I tried to avoid going to the mall for about six months on either side of Christmas, I would find my way down to the mall and I'd go to Macy's. Now, I literally can never, ever find shoes that fit me or that that are comfortable at Walmart. They They don't sell them. So, you know, that's a specific example. But when you think about yourself, do you buy an average car? A cheap car, uh, an expensive car, a luxury car, right? If you think about the difference between Mercedes and a smart car, Mercedes, that logo, includes leather seats, seat warmers, 
you know, all kinds of nice little things, remote start. You're not likely to find those things, even for extra money, on a smart car. You know, those little cars that are just roughly the size of your body plus one inch all around. They're not going to give you leather seats. They're not going to sell you leather seats. You couldn't buy them if you wanted to. Right? It appeals to a different buyer. And this is true with so many things, right? There are people who shop at Whole Foods and people who don't, right? There are people who are proud to pay extra money to be in a line at Starbucks instead of going across the street to a cozy little mom and pop store that sells coffee, uh, won't let you sit there all day without giving you the evil eye, and um, charges $2 a cup. Instead, the people who define themselves as Starbucks mavens are going to go to Starbucks. Uh, Airlines are another great example. I am definitely a Delta kind of guy. I want to be able to pick my seat. I want to have seats of different kinds so that I can always be in comfort plus, so I can get a seat near a bulkhead, so I've got six feet of legroom, even though I don't have six feet of feet. But that's where I want to sit, and I want electricity at every seat so that no matter where I'm sitting, I'll have electricity. I want to be able to buy food on the plane. I want to be able to go to the lounge I want to, right? There's all kinds of things that make me the perfect Delta flyer, which means I'm not a very good Spirit Airlines flyer, right? I don't maximize the value of the airplane by looking at the price. I maximize my total experience. Now, also, I would argue, most frequent flyers do not fly Spirit every time they fly. If they are trying to to maximize value by looking at price, then they might go to Spirit. But you've all seen, I mean, we make fun of Spirit, that they, you know, they they charge you for every little thing. When I was young, I had a, a car that I dearly loved, but some guy smashed into it and his insurance company gave me a bunch of money. So I was looking at buying another car and this was a long time ago. I'm very old, but... I was looking at buying a brand new car called a Chevy Chevette. And if you're old enough, you might remember this. The Chevy Chevette was literally the cheapest car in the world at the time. And it got that way because it was a lot like Spirit Airlines. You literally had to pay extra for a glove box. Right? (laughs) So... But eventually, I was like, wait a minute, if I get a one-year-old Toyota Corolla, I can get out, you know, all the amenities that are important to me, and I don't have to uh, pinch all those pennies. So, you know, I just grew up to be the kind of person that I'm, I don't need the most expensive. I am never going to buy the top-of-the-line Mercedes. I don't need a Lamborghini, right? I have been driving middle-aged cars for whatever, more than 20 years. I have a Honda Accord, right? So that's that's my idea of a, a good car. Um, it doesn't define my lifestyle or whatever, but that's who I see myself as. And so when you think about these various experiences, what kind of a buyer are you? Some people, myself included, I, I was always an HP shop, 
from day one. Now, I did work for HP for a while, but before that and after that, I ran HP shops, starting with HP 3000 uh, minis or mainframes, um, ProLiance, right? For me, I love the way that they configured machines. I was willing to put up with a lengthy process. I was, I didn't need to buy off the shelf. Um, other people prefer a Dell. They want to be able to go online and click this and click that and run the configurator and build their own machines and customize them for their clients and do everything in excruciating detail. And that's the way that they want to buy and sell equipment. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, but you know what you want to do. You know how you want to buy things. When you look at everything, everything in your life, from restaurants you go to, stores that you go to, food that you eat, clothes that you wear, you know what you define yourself as, as a buyer. Now, when we talk about your ideal client, how do they define themselves? There are people who literally say, I don't buy the most expensive and I don't buy the least expensive. I buy towards the high end, but I don't need, you know, the, the, the ultimate of anything. Those are good clients. Those are really good clients. There are other clients who say, I pinch every penny. If it says firewall, it's a firewall. So I don't care whether it costs $79 or $799 or $7,999. A firewall is a firewall. And I'm going to go with the $79 model because it's a firewall. Those people are not my clients. Okay. Those people are nowhere near my ideal clients. And I recommend that they not be yours. Now, Having said all that, you can literally build a business on people who are cheap. Lots of people have done it. It's a business model. It's legit. Um, but I don't. I think it's a lot harder to build a business based on people who can't afford your services than it is to build a business on people who can afford your services. Now, one of the things that I like to encourage people to do is to Push back a little bit. Understand something very fundamental. You have to set requirements for your clients. They have to participate. They are like an extra employee in your company. And that employee has to perform as well each quarter as the employees who are on your payroll. Now, I would encourage you all to go read. It's a little bit old, 10 years old. Uncommon Service by Francis Fry and Ann Morris. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uncommon service. It's got a, a green cover with smiley faces if you want to go on Audible or Amazon and find it. <clears throat> the reason I really like that book is that they have a, a great statement about customer service and where it fits in your company. And that statement is, is obvious, but powerful. And it is very simply, customer service costs money and somebody has to pay for that. There is no free customer service. You know, in small business, we have this odd fiction that 
you can have everything. We, we have people who stand up on stage and say, you must have the best customer service and you must answer the phone on the first ring and you must give perfect uh, patch management and perfect reporting and be timely and finish every job within an hour and right, do absolutely everything. Be amazing and spectacular at everything. And Fry and Morris say, no, no. In fact, the opposite is true. You have to choose something that you're not going to be good at in order to have the money to choose the things that you are going to be excellent at. So, for example, Walmart has really, really, really low prices. But just try to find somebody who will help you. <laughs> they, their store is not overfilled with people who cost forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year walking around asking you if you need help. No, you need help. You're kind of on your own, right? Even Target, you got to go turn a light on if you want to find an employee. And that's just a balance, right? Whereas at Macy's, you can't walk through that store. You can't literally walk from the parking lot in one door and out into the mall without at least one employee coming up to you and asking if you want help. And that turns some people off, right? So you have to decide how you want to do business. But, you know, and I'll give a, a great example that, that uh, Fry and Morris give from the book. Uh, Southwest Airlines. Many, many people love Southwest Airlines. They are a very specific kind of buyer. But if you fly Southwest, you don't expect to buy food on the plane, right? Southwest, when they were building their business model, looked and said, imagine how many resources it takes to, you know, supply food, to refrigerate it, to make sure that it hasn't expired, to make sure it's in the right places at the right time so every airplane has enough food for every flight. And, you know, then there's a lot of waste that needs to be get thrown away. And there's a whole level of management that's incredibly expensive. Just scratch out the line that says sell food and suddenly you have a huge profit that other airlines don't have simply because they share food. A lot of people who fly Southwest don't know this, but on almost, in fact, as far as I know, every other airline, if you are switching planes in another city, your airline will take your bags from your airline and put it on the, uh, the plane of another airline free of charge. Southwest will not do this for any amount of money. It simply is an additional cost that few people use, and when you eliminate it, you eliminate an entire layer of cost. And you do that so that you've got the money to provide an extra level of service somewhere else. So I want you to think about what you do in your business. Where, where are you providing a level of service that is not really used by many clients, not important to clients, not something that your clients care about or want to focus on, because that'll give you a clue about where you can just simply stop paying attention to something because your clients don't care anyway. So when you think about all the things you're good at, okay, where are you good at something that people don't really care about? Now, I will, I will give you one example that is probably true for most of you. 
unless your client specifically asks you in writing, I would never provide any kind of guarantee of when I'm going to be there. I would not ever, I've never signed a service level agreement that guarantees the level of service we will offer. In fact, I would argue service level agreements came into being in this industry simply because PSA systems could add a timer on a computer with essentially minimal programming. It was, it's easy to create a service level agreement in a PSA, but it's not useful. It's not necessary. If you ask your clients, give them a list and have them poll, what do they expect? And they're going to say, I expect a timely response. They're not going to say, I expect to the work will get started on every ticket within 60 minutes. And if it's 61 minutes, I want my money back. They're not going to say that. You know, I've had clients who uh, have actually, you know, said things like, oh, Carl's amazing and spectacular. And, you know, he's available evenings, weekends, whenever we want him. That's not true. <laughs> they had the perception that that was true. But it's simply that when they did need me, I was there. But I was not there in the evening and I was not there in the weekend. But I was there enough of the time that their perception was that I was always there. And so I didn't have to have service level agreements and I didn't have to give people their money back if we didn't meet certain requirements. And I didn't have to spend any time, effort or energy trying to sell people that they needed a service level agreement. And if the competition didn't give them to them, they were, you know, in horrible shape and their business was going to fall apart. So, you know, where are the things that you are putting attention on? You know, do, do you count things that don't matter? Uh, earlier, I made a, a video. Uh, you can find it on my YouTube channel at Small Biz Thoughts. I made a video about KPIs. And one of the things I talked about is, you know, key performance indicators often get misused and turn into something where uh, people start using them as a goal instead of a measure. And when that happens, uh, then things go sideways. Right? You're now putting effort and energy into something that does not advance your business and doesn't make you more money, but it's measurable because by definition, you started out by measuring it and now you've turned it into a way to measure goals. So you have to be careful and you have to be smart. Now, what can you ask your clients for? When I say that there have to be requirements, well, you should set some minimums. It doesn't matter what it is. Your minimum might be one, but as you grow, you're probably going to say, look, I, you got to have at least, um, you know, a million dollars in revenue because otherwise you don't have the money to afford an IT consultant, right? So maybe that's a requirement for you. I mentioned layers of management. That's a great indicator. If a company has true layers of management, it means that you're never going to get stuck waiting for the boss who's too busy to get back to you, right? And that's, that's a reasonable thing to say. Now, you might say, well, I, I only deal with people in a certain industry or uh, what we call SIC codes, S-I-C. So you might, you might choose lawyers, doctors, uh, you know, whatever, pick some vertical, well, that's totally legit. You can also have a requirement that 
You must meet with me a minimum of once a year to have a discussion about your technology. If you are not willing to do that, I will go find a client who is. Because that's the kind of thing that if a client will do that, you will make more money. The client will buy more technology. They'll be more up to date. Things will break less frequently. And therefore, the client with an identical service agreement to somebody else is going to be more profitable because they are participating in their own well-being. You know, when I, when I spread out these lists of, you know, who's your ideal client, I ask questions like, do they take our advice? Do they spend money when we tell them to spend money? Are they technically interesting and challenging? Do they have projects that are fun for us to work on? Obviously, do they pay on time, but also do they replace their equipment on time? Things like that really matter. And so you should make a list. Think about your best clients and your worst clients. What traits can get you more people who look like your best clients and can actually have people who are not good for you basically not call you. You know, you can pre-filter people by, you know, the, the same way that Walmart and Starbucks and HP and Delta and Southwest and everybody else does. They do business a specific way. It attracts people who like to do business that way. It detracts people who are not interested in doing business that way. You honestly can do this. You, you do not have to have a mentality of poverty that says you have to pick up every nickel. If your clients will not do these things, then they are not your clients and they need to go somewhere else and find tech support. And, you know, luckily for us in IT, it has been the case my entire life that if you are in IT, you are swimming in a river of money and you just have to figure out how you're going to get a bucket big enough to get your share of it out of the river and into your bank. And one big important way that you can do that is to design your business so it is appealing to the clients you want and it is unappealing to clients that you don't want. And you must have requirements that clients have to meet or they cannot be your clients. It's interesting, over the last weekend, I had phone calls with two different people who had literally exact opposite experiences in their business. Both of them agreed that in the last three years, more and more people want to talk about money, 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 price, price, price. What they disagreed on is why. One of them acknowledged that too many people in this industry have become homogenous and they look like every other consultant and so it's hard to differentiate yourself and what he understood was i have to charge more i have to be more expensive and i'm willing to get rid of clients who will not pay that price the other one said oh you know this is terrible everybody all they want to talk about is pricing and it's you know it's depressing and it makes me want to leave this business well you know, the reality is if you create what I call the perfect relationship, then your clients will be very, very profitable. And that perfect relationship consists of clients who replace all their equipment, ideally on a three-year schedule, but I, I can live with four. 
They sign a contract. They pay all of their bills on time. They take your advice. They upgrade when you say they should upgrade. They have appropriate insurance. They have appropriate technology. And they meet with you on a regular basis and let you be the advisor who helps them improve their business. That is your distinction from all those other people out there who are exactly the same. And when they look around and they see their competition, they see themselves. And so the only way they can think to differentiate themselves is to lower their prices. I want to make sure that you don't fall into that trap and that you don't, you don't ever think you have to lower your prices for anybody else. So consider an exercise and it might take you a month, but literally look at all of your clients, identify the ones that you consider to be your ideal clients and then start working on a plan. How can you attract more of them? What do they wanna do? You know, the, the absolute best clients that you have are more likely to leave you because your competition is more expensive, because your best clients are not price sensitive. Your best clients are sensitive to performance, to productivity, to the speed of their network, to the amount of uptime that they have. And so promise them speed, promise them productivity, promise them uptime, and they will stay with you. But if somebody else comes along and says, hey, I'm only $50 a month more expensive but I will promise you more uptime. Well, they're going to be more appealing. So those are the clients you want. Those are your best clients today, and you can get more of those good clients going forward. If you agree with me or disagree with me, send me an email, carlp at smallbizthoughts.com. Put comments down below. I'm happy to respond to them. Um, and, you know, I have an entire class coming out starting February 15th on customer service. And if you like my approach, I think you'll love my class on customer service. And you can find that over at itspu.com. That's itserviceprovideruniversity.com. And I will put the link down below. Thanks for listening. This has been yet another SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.